It is good to see you this morning. I want to uh, express my uh, condolences to those that were cheering for the United States. Uh, condolences for those that were cheering for England. But uh, today, this afternoon, there will be a, a game that's going to take place. That uh, I welcome you all to come join us. Actually, the Latin ministry is going to show the game here before our service while we have food, and we want to invite you to join us. I can show you what I'm going to wear. I don't think I can show it this afternoon at the Latin service, because these are the colors that I wear, because I grew up in Argentina. Most of my uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the Latin ministry will be wearing the Mexican colors. But uh, we're still brothers and sisters, even regardless of the score. We hope at the end. I want to ask you to pray for me, because if I wear that shirt this afternoon, I might not make it to the end of the night. But you know, we're here to celebrate freedom. You know, this coming month, our nation here in the United States, and regardless of your heritage or your upbringing, it's pretty special that I can actually wear a blue and white shirt here, where it's red, white, and blue as well. Amen? We celebrate freedom. And we're going to do a series here in the congregation focused on freedom. You know, we celebrate this coming weekend America's freedom. You know, I love to see the colors, the sounds throughout our towns as we celebrate freedom. You know, as uh, the fireworks go out, you might be thinking, I celebrate freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to be able to pursue whatever I want to pursue. And that is something special about this nation. But spiritually, we're going to be celebrating something even deeper than that. Today we're going to talk about freedom from sin. Because that is the greatest freedom that we're going to celebrate. And so this weekend, as you see the fireworks, I want you to meditate about the freedom of sin that you and I can have. The thrill of our faith. That regardless of what background we come from, regardless of what our past has been, in Christ we can celebrate freedom from sin. Amen? And so we're going to talk also, if you wanted to give the sermon a different title, it's Amazing Grace. Because the only reason you and I can celebrate freedom, it's not because of our perfection, it's not because we deserve it. It is totally because of Christ that you and I can celebrate freedom. And so before the end of the sermon, at the end of the sermon, we will actually sing Amazing Grace. And I want you to meditate about this song, meditate on the words that it says, and meditate really on how special it is, the freedom that we share. You know, in the song he speaks about what a wretch like me. And the beauty of the freedom that we celebrate is that regardless of how good or bad you were in your past, in Christ... God has reached out to a wretch just like you, just like me. Amen? Yeah. You know, we were once lost. And regardless of where you come from, I want you today to feel welcomed by God. I want you to feel that all of us at one point were lost. We might look a little better today because we're a little better dressed, but the reality of our life is each one has been lost at one point. Amen? You know, we could also celebrate that now I'm found. The reason today is a celebration for us is because he found us. You know, oftentimes in religion America, we talk about accepting Jesus. And maybe it should be the other way around, him accepting us. 
Because really, is it really right for us to be considering that we are accepting him as if we had the privilege of doing so? It's more the other way around. We were lost, and he found us. And he's accepting us into his family, amen? And so we're going to celebrate that now we see freedom from sin. You know, the author of this song, his name was John, John Newton. I'm glad we don't wear those thingies nowadays, huh? Imagine that. I know, Robert Lickfield says, I would like it. I really would like it. I'm sorry, I just can't see a, a Latino wearing that thing. It just does not go. But you know, John Newton, you think about a guy that writes this song. Think about these words. And you see him in this outfit and you think, wow, he must have been one devout religious guy. Let me tell you a little bit about his life before he wrote this. In the 1700s, he was a captain of a slave trade ship. Let me run that by you again. The author of Amazing Grace was at one point leading ships of slaves from one nation to another. Many of those slaves Probably two-thirds of those that hopped on those ships didn't make it to the end of the ship. Because they'd die along the way. And it was a man with this kind of background who later on in his life realizes what he's done. And realizes his sin starts grasping the mercy that God has for him. And so he actually becomes a minister. He leaves the sailing business and starts preaching after he repents. And when he starts going town to town and place to place, having prayer meetings and having sermons, he starts writing songs about his life about what God has done in his life. Because he remembers one day when he was on a ship and they were going through turmoil. He was concerned that they were, he was going to lose his life. And so he actually prayed to God, God, have mercy on me during a violent storm. And his ship actually made it through that violent storm. And it was there where he started grasping the amazing grace of a mighty God that would consider the prayer of a man who was hurting other human beings and nevertheless said, I want to help you with your life. You know, as we think today about freedom from sin, I want us to meditate and remember who we really are, who we really have been, who we are, and who we'll continue to be, but how powerful it is that a mighty God would want to have a relationship with you and I. Amen? You know, this guy, John Newton, as he started preaching, he started impacting other men. And so he reached out to a man called William Wilberforce. And William is known for being one of the leading forces in abolition in Europe. And it was really Europe's beginning of fight towards abolition that helped the U.S., also gain a conviction about 
freedom from slavery. Why do I mention this? Because, you know, when we talk about freedom, I think oftentimes we can take it for granted. And we undervalue, really, the cost of our freedom. I think as we meditate on freedom from sin, we've got to also acknowledge the contrast of it. What's the opposite of freedom? Well, it's slavery. And so, amen, that there have been men before us, before us that have had a passion for a human being's need to be freed from slavery. But in the same way, we need to have a passion for freedom from spiritual slavery. I'm going to show you a clip about William and how he's reached out to, he's become a spiritual man. Newton has affected his life and other people have as well. And he's wrestling with his career, his purpose in life. He's struggling with, am I going to focus on seeking and saving the lost? Or am I really going to seek also my political career? And so oftentimes it takes for us seeing the reality of somebody else's life before we understand the purpose that God has for our life. You know, this is very dear and near to my heart. Because I remember years ago going away uh, to Mexico as a missionary. And you think if you're going as a missionary, you have a pretty noble heart, you know. You're wanting to do it because you care for other people. But it's amazing how a human heart really struggles with its purity. Because even there I was struggling with the reality of, why am I doing this? And it was one particular day when I was driving actually from Peter Garcia's house to mine. And every, every day when, we, when I went from his house to mine, I'd see in this corner this little Indian woman dressed in her natural garments, their Indian garments, and carrying a little baby in her back in this little pouch. But this day was different from the other days. I'd always stop there and give her something, buy candy from her, do something so that I could help her out. But this day, as I stopped, I realized, you know what, there's something else going on. She's not carrying that baby in her back. I saw a policeman in the middle of the uh, street there, and there was a grass area where he was kicking a bag, and the lady was standing over it. I realized after a couple minutes, it wasn't just a bag. It was her baby. And it helped me to see it was her dead baby. Help me to see the reality of what other people go through. I was so wrapped up in my own life and the struggles of my own life and my struggles of my being a missionary and seeing if I was going to be successful as a missionary. But boy, there it just hit me deep in my heart. God telling me, Javier, this is not about you. Your sins have been forgiven. But there's people that need you whose physical needs, whose emotional needs, whose spiritual needs are way greater than anything you can be consumed in. And so today as we meditate on freedom from sin, yes, this is about your freedom from sin, but it's also about you grasping what God wants to call you to do for the sake of others around us. Because you know what? There are many, there are millions of people in our valley right now enslaved to sin. This morning there are people waking up wondering if they're going to end their life. Why? Because of the slavery to sin. They're wondering if they're going to kill their baby. Why? Because of their slavery to sin. 
They're wondering if they're going to get divorced. Why? Because of slavery to sin. They're wondering what they're going to do with their life. Why? Because there's slavery to sin. But it's vital that you and I value the freedom we have and share that freedom and have a heartfelt passion for the need for others to be freed as well. Amen. So let's watch this video. My business in London is you, Mr. Wilberforce. What? You wish to discuss something with me? No. You do not want to talk. Because we hear that you are a man who doesn't believe what he hears until he sees it with his own eyes. When the slaves leave port in Africa, they're locked into a space four foot by 18 inches. They have no sanitation, very little food, stagnant water. Their waste and blood fills the holds within three days and is never emptied. These irons and chains are to keep them from throwing themselves overboard. The chains are not unlocked until you reach the plantation in Jamaica. Around half of the slaves dead already. In the markets, they stuff knotted rope into the anuses of those who are sick to disguise the dysentery. When you reach the plantation, they put irons to the fire and do this to let you know that you no longer belong to God, but to a man. Mr. Wilberforce, we understand you're having problems choosing whether to do the work of God or the work of a political activist. We humbly suggest that you can do both. Go with me to John chapter 8. You know, it's pretty intense to look at those shackles. Especially when he puts the one over the neck. And to consider that human beings not long ago and actually right now are being treated like this throughout our world. And so we celebrate our freedom, amen? But I think as we celebrate our freedom, we also have to value the spiritual freedom that God is providing for us. Because you know, our shackles might not be as visual as that one, but the reality is each one of us in different ways has been enshackled.
In John chapter 8, verse 1, we find Jesus in a precarious situation. So when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn, and notice this, it's at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught. She was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, this woman was caught. She was caught in the act. Imagine, it's dawn, it's early in the morning, Jesus is at the temple, it's maybe six in the morning. He's beginning to teach. He's inspired those people around him that really want to know God's word. And here comes a crowd with a woman. We caught her! You can imagine the feeling. The tension. I mean, this one, we've nailed they're ready to stone her. And I appreciate what Jesus does, right? I always wondered, and I want to ask him when I get there, what would you write? <laughs> no, you wondered, did he write down sins, a list of sins? And the guys around start going, oop, that's mine, oop, that's mine, oop, that's mine. I don't know what he wrote. And really, it's not the focus. But what I appreciate is what he does. He does not condemn her. You know, this is one of our challenges in religious America. Is as we make a little progress ourselves, we can look back and start condemning other people. And regardless of where you come from, if this is your first time here, I want you to feel that our arms are this way for you. Amen? Regardless of your background, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of what you've done in your past, God has an open arm because He's not looking to condemn you. And I know walking into a church can be an, oh, whoa, do I not fit in here. We all felt that the first time we got here. Even if you grew up here, you still felt it. I remember the first time I came to church, man, I was like, hey, yeah, yeah. And then I heard the guy speaking, and I thought, who told him? There were 800 people there, but I was convinced they had told him about my life. The second time around, I said, they definitely told him. I mean, his points were just about me. We all feel that. We feel somewhat condemned. But it's God's Spirit working, saying, you know what, this is not about condemnation. It's because I want to draw you to me. 
And so regardless of what you've done in your past, I want you to feel welcomed by God today. Amen? But you know, the beauty of Christianity, and I was amazed this past week. I was in Memphis, Tennessee at a, at a course, part of my uh, theology program. It was intense, the discussions that we had, because there, there are people of a lot of different backgrounds in my class, from different religious backgrounds. And it was intense to find a situation where a woman shared about, you know, in our church we don't condemn, we welcome everybody. And I agree, we've got to welcome everybody. Amen? She said, you know what, we have members who are uh, uh, same-sex marriages and they're married and they're proud of it. And I said, whoa. Yes, we welcome everybody. And Jesus was very welcoming and not condemning. And regardless of what you've been about in the past, we welcome you here. But if you notice, after Jesus says, I don't condemn you, he says to her, stop your life of sin. You know, the beauty of Christianity is not being chained by sin and covering it up. The beauty of Christianity is grabbing those shackles and going, you will not control me anymore. Amen. And so when Christ calls people to stop a life of sin, he's not condemning. But he's calling for freedom for sin. It's not freeing to continue in something that is biblically wrong. And just say, well, that's my opinion. It's freeing when we're willing to follow Jesus' attitude when he says, Neither do I condemn you, but now go and leave your life of sin. Freedom from sin. Amazing grace. His grace is incredible. But it does require in us a decision that I'm going to turn from my life of sin. Amen? And so today, whatever it is that has been enshackling you, I ask you to have the sincerity first with yourself, then with God. And as we take the Lord's Supper today, to make specific decisions to say, God, I am done with this. And it will be no more. Amen? You go to Psalm 107, please. Psalm 107. Verse 10. He saved the wretch like me. Amen? And that's who we are. You know, it's important we don't forget it. I don't think when John Newton sang the song Amazing Grace, did he ever forget the slaves that were traded through his ship. I think in the same way it's important that we acknowledge and we remember what it is that has enslaved our lives. You know, last night, praying and thinking through this sermon, I went through my youth. A long time ago. For, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I started remembering stages of sin. started remembering relationships that I hurt. I remembered in my teen years shooting my sister with a BB gun in her, on her leg. I had an anger problem. You know what I mean? I started remembering the foggy windows of cars. And I'll leave it at that because my daughter's in the audience. started remembering names and people. I remember the one time I came home drunk 
because I was not one that drank that much. My parents were having a party of executives. And here comes their son, had to get carried in. And I started remembering how after that day, from that day till I became a Christian, how the one that would later become my mother-in-law would greet me every time, sniffing me. Because I hadn't brought her daughter back home because I was drunk. You know, we all have our stories. And it's important that we acknowledge to ourselves and to God how he's freed us. You know, it's easy to present ourselves as, no, me? How could that be? And in that, I think God says, let's get real. In Psalm 107, verse 10, It says, some sat in darkness and in the deepest gloom. Prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor and stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them. From their distress, he brought them out of darkness and deep gloom and broke away their chains. Oh, let's repeat that. And broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he break down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways. And suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thanks offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. You know, this is the scripture that uh, our grief recovery program uses as its basis for existence. Why? Because they acknowledge some sat in darkness, controlled by addiction. Addiction to drugs, addiction to sex, addiction to alcohol, whatever kind of addiction. You know, it gets really dark. When we're controlled by sin, we can be controlled by just anger. We're controlled even by the hatred of relationships. And our world becomes really dark. But the beauty of our Christianity is that God establishes a plan for us to be freed from that darkness. Amen? You know, I always enjoy sharing with uh, Craig Dickens, a very dear friend of mine, who shares about the story of his life and how drugs really hampered his growth. You know, if you know Craig, he kind of hides it behind his, you know, big guy, lovable teddy bear, but he's a brilliant guy. He's a very bright guy. And if you start finding out about him, you realize, man, 
Drugs really limited this guy's accomplishments early on in his life. But I praise God that he's been freed from that, you know. I look at his marriage today. I look at his parenting today. I look at his life unfolding today and I go, praise God that God has freed this man from those chains that so enslaved him. You know what's the reality? Each one of us, in one way or another, has been enslaved by chains. And the question is, are we going to wrestle with them to admit them? To go and face the reality? I mean, even maybe the simplest chain, he says, they rebelled from God's Word. You know what we have here? We have God Himself saying, I want to talk to you. We have God Himself saying, I want to give you my directions on how to live. And how to be a husband. And how to be a wife. And how to live a successful life as a teenager. And how to grow in your career. But you know what most of us have done throughout life? Eh, I'll do it my way. You know the arrogance of that? We're saying to God Himself, I don't need your way. And so it says, some rebelled from God's Word. You know, God gives us so many details for our lives. And he wants to free us from the things that enslave us. Today, if you haven't had a passionate walk with God lately, I want to ask you to make a decision. That you're going to free yourself from the chains of ignorance or indifference. And that you're going to seek His Word with a passion. Amen? I once was lost. If you go to John chapter 5. You know, in order to be found, you've got to admit that you're lost. Men are not too good at this, you know what I mean? We praise God for GPSs. The reality is, women praise God for men having GPSs. Because before, many women would go, shouldn't we ask for directions? No, no, I know where we're going. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know, Jesus... In John 5, he interacts with a man here and he says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, uh, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I once was lost. You know, it takes courage to admit, I need help. You look at this interaction, and at first you can think, wow, Jesus wasn't too compassionate. I mean, this guy's been that way for 38 years. The interaction could have been first, well, how are you feeling? How are you doing? But you know, Jesus is after what really matters. And so he knows, man, every time the water stirred, the first one that goes in gets cleansed. You've been here for 38 years. What holds you back? You know, the reality is some of us can be around... Christianity, we can be around Christ, we can be around God for a long time. 
But being around and appreciating and valuing his, his blessings is a whole different thing. Because your mother or father loves God, it doesn't mean you love God. Because they've been forgiven, it doesn't mean you've been forgiven. Because your cousin or uncle, you know what I mean? That doesn't do it. And so Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? You know, if we're going to have freedom from sin, we've got to ask ourselves that real question. Do I want to get well? Do I want the help that God's providing me? And so he says something really simple to him. It's not this miraculous thing. He just says, get up. And I think at times with our cases, it's the same thing. In order for us to take the first step to be freed from the chains that are enslaving us, we've got to get up and go the other way from where we're going. He says, pick up your mat and walk. And so the man does. But you know, it doesn't end there. In verse 14, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Freedom from sin? How do we show it? We show it by getting up. By following the direction that God gives us on how to be free. But we also follow it by deciding, you know what? I'm going to stop the sin that I've been a part of. Whatever it is. Making a radical decision that it's no more. Yes, I once was lost. But that's not going to be my permanent state. I can be found. Amen? And so finally, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I want to ask uh, Alex, are you back there? Stand up. Alex Herrera, stand up. He was baptized this past week, and I want to congratulate him for it. Go ahead, sit down. A year ago, I met Alex at a camping trip. His wife was, had she just become a Christian? I think so. Yeah. And she was praying and asking all of us to pray for him. He was a very gregarious, great guy. And I thought, man, it'll be awesome when he becomes a disciple. But you could see in him a desire to build relationships, but also a turmoil inside of him. And so I want you to go to Romans 6, verse 1, and consider the freedom from sin. You, you look at Alex right now, and you see a little light spirit about him. That's because a week ago, he was forgiven from all the garbage of his past. You know, he could tell you about the successes of his past. And the baseball career. He could tell you about the wounds of his past. And being affected by an injury in his baseball career. Uh, about challenges in his life. But you know what? All that, whatever it was, good, bad, or whatever. God says, we're starting over. Amen? And in Romans 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us, all of us who were baptized into Christ, all of us who repented, who made a decision as an adult to be baptized into Christ, what happened to us? We were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him, like him in his death, we'll certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. How you doing? If you've gone through this, You've been freed from sin, amen? And so the question is, first, have you gone through that? Have you obeyed God's plan to be freed from sin? If not, our encouragement today is, what are you waiting for? And be eager, be hungry, take advantage of the opportunity to study the Bible, get to know Him, get to know His plan on how to be freed practically, how to be freed spiritually, and how to be right with God, amen? And if we've been freed, let's live like free men and women. Amen? In Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We've got to acknowledge that we've been blind. The idea is not to stay there. It says in Romans 7, verse 14, We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I did not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. You ever feel like that? And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Ever feel like that? Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Oh, have you ever felt that? For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, does that describe each one of our lives. I don't care how old you are. You've felt this before. But you know, it's not meant to describe our Christian life. It's meant to describe our life before we're Christians. But you know, if, we, if as Christians this is a struggle, we've got to decide, I'm going to come to the light and I'm going to go away from this blindness. Amen? And whatever it is that is controlling us, I'm going to conquer it, but not by myself, but through God's Spirit. And here's where the power really comes in. Yes, we were all blind, and we've got to acknowledge it. But now, I see. And in closing, in Romans 8, the beauty of Christianity is not a bunch of good works, but it is in the power of the Spirit working in your life. It's in us admitting that by ourselves we're enslaved, that we've needed somebody else to free us, 
and we constantly need His help to continue freeing us. In Romans 8, verse 6, He says there, The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, notice, it's not by ourselves, it's by the Spirit, He's going to be working with us. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know, there are things that Christians or non-Christians, we will always say, man, I want to do this right, but I can't do it. I try and I try, but I fail. And so God is saying, I want to free you from sin through the blood of my son. But I also want to free you from the enslavement of sensual habits through the power of my spirit. You know, when we become Christians, we receive the forgiveness of sin at baptism, but we also receive God's spirit. And when we receive God's spirit... He wants to help us conquer those things that have enslaved us. How grateful are we for God's Spirit? Now I see. Let's feed His Spirit to let Him lead us. Amen? You know, the Spirit gives us life. The Spirit gives us freedom. And the Spirit helps us put to death sin in our lives. We're going to watch one more clip. And this is about... John Newton, towards the end of his life, right before he dies, he uh, talks about his confession, his confessing what he had been in the past and the decision that he's made as a Christian. Go ahead. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, ports, people, everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts. They all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts. Noises. 
Voi olla yksi. Tää ei kuakin ole. I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, Wilma, go. We've lots of work to do, you and I. You know, for these two men, their past spurred them on passionately to free other men. I want to challenge us to evaluate what's our freedom spurring us to do. You know, I'm freed from sin. There's a lot of people around us that desperately need freedom. And that you and I have to passionately decide that their freedom is worth our lives. That their freedom is worth our investment. That as we look and we value the freedom that God has given us, the joy of healing, the joy of not being controlled by our past, that we're spurred on to reach out to others so that they can also be free. Join me with me in a prayer. God, we know that the reality of uh, physical slavery and the mistreatment of people has got to stir your heart. We thank you, God, that... Uh, Men before has have been able to look at themselves and look at what they've done and what they've closed their eyes to and have decided to stand firm to help others be free physically. Yet God, we know that your quest is much deeper than that in terms of spirituality. And we acknowledge, God, that each one of us in one way or another has been enslaved, whether it's by anger, whether it's by hidden sins, by lies, by immorality, by deceit, by living double lives, by just ignoring your word and your plan for life, by undervaluing what you meant life to be. And God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for, in him, providing an avenue for us to be free from our sins. We know that by ourselves there is no way we can earn it or deserve it. But we thank you so much for the blood of your Son that can give us a hope of eternal life and freedom from our own sins. We thank you, God, for your Spirit and the hope of us having Him inside of us. We know we don't deserve Him being in us and Him leading our lives. We thank you that through your spirit we can conquer sin God and I pray that our lives can demonstrate that 
Father, help us with our sinful nature to put it to a side and to be led by your Spirit so much more. We pray, God, for those that are uh, searching, that are wanting to get to know you, that are 